Hello, lovely listeners. We have an exciting announcement. We are now sponsored by art history author Elizabeth Rainey, and she has a new book coming out that is launching today on the Ides of March. Y'all, she is so cool. Her new book is called Warhol, Dr. Seuss, and the Making of America, and it takes the reader on a journey through their art on topics including war, civil rights, gender issues, music, and the environment. The art of Andy Warhol and Dr. Seuss reinforced American skepticism of what had widely been accepted cultural values in the 1950s, and then the acceptance and formation of new ones in the 1960s. She asked the question, could it be that art will save American culture? Her book is now available for pre-order, and actually I believe today you can just order the book on Amazon, Uh, and you can follow her on Instagram at Elizabeth Rainey Author, and we'll put all of the information in our show notes today. Yay! Welcome to Shake, Shake, Shake! A podcast about classics, cocktails, and casting. I'm Cody Jackman. And I'm Alexander Wright. Two LA actors passionate about Shakespeare who will be entertaining you, hopefully, for the next hour-ish. As actors, we know how much personal experience and an actor's background shapes so much of what is brought to a character. This podcast is about what happens when two actors with diverse backgrounds prep the same role. So grab a drink and settle in. week on Shake, 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 we'll be exploring Cassius from Julius Caesar with Nick McDowell and Jono Island. These actors have been given two weeks to prepare as if today were the first table read of a rehearsal. Obviously, throughout a rehearsal process, the character will develop through direction, design, fellow actors. So these are just our actors' first impressions. So y'all, because it is the Ides of March, we are doing a double release, as I'm sure you already know from the gram. So for our lovely Cassius, we are going to be recommending an hors d'oeuvre and for Brutus, we'll be recommending the cocktail. So, for your recommended hors d'oeuvre for this Cassius episode, it's going to be something skewered. And y'all, let your beautiful imaginations run wild. That can be anything and everything. That could be, uh, you know, a nice cherry tomato and some mozzarella. Yeah. If you're if you're a, a veggie, you veggie, veggie human. skewers. You can skewer some meat if yeah. you so desire. Or just do a marshmallow, you know. Skewer whatever you want, but you need to stab something. That's this your is, activity. This is the important part, the stabbing. And then stay tuned for your cocktail. Preserve. Hello, and welcome to Shake, Shake, Shake. We're going to be looking at Cassius today from Julius Caesar. And first up, we have the amazing Jono Island. Hi, Jono. Hello, Alex and Cody. Oh, we're so happy you're here. Uh, Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, Yeah, sure. My name is Jono Island. That's about it. Tell us what you do, (laughs) Jono Island. Um, I'm an actor who's based in Los Angeles. Um, per my, my bio that I sent y'all, I'm a founding member of Sojourn Theater, which is, uh, an ensemble company that used to be based in Portland. Um, uh, but now is based wherever we do work. And I'm also a company member of the Porters of Hell's Gate and Method of Madness, two classical companies here in Los Angeles. Yes, and we've actually had both of those artistic directors on Bull Block and Charles Pasternak. Mm-hmm. So, yes, oh, we're so happy you're here, Jono. So, what is your experience with Shakespeare? Um, uh, great question. So, I have always really 
loved Shakespeare ever since I was probably, I think the first time that I enjoyed Shakespeare was I was probably like 13 years old and I saw Kenneth Branagh's Much Ado About Nothing in oh. theaters. Um, and yeah, and I, and, and that was the first time because before that point, you know, for a pre 13 years old, Shakespeare is, is for me anyway, was very inaccessible and usually boring. And I just didn't understand what was going on. And that was the first time that I was sort of like, wow, this language is really beautiful and I can understand what everybody's saying. Um, and I think it's also, you know, Much Ado is a, is a pretty accessible uh, play and is funny and um, was easy for me to sort of latch on to. So ever since that, that was sort of like my, my gateway drug into Shakespeare. Um, I've always loved it, but never really um, put any sort of emphasis on learning Shakespeare. I just sort of in, enjoyed it. Um, so it wasn't until, gosh, four years ago when Alex and I were cast in a production of Pericles with the Porters of Hell's Gate um, that I, I sort of auditioned on a whim and never thought I would get in. And then uh, I got cast as Saruman and realized through that process um, how little I knew <laughs> about Shakespeare um, and have and have since um, gone on to uh, try to try to learn more um, yeah. and uh, educate myself a little more with the help of of some friends and fellow performers. So little side note, I was actually telling the story to Cody the other night. Jono and I also did Cymbeline together where Jono was an amazingly creepy and beautiful Yakimo. But there was also a moment where he had to play uh, like a jailer who's bringing my character in and I was playing Pisanio. And so we were upstage. Do you remember this, Jono? And how you would tickle behind my ear with your upstage hand so that no one would see. <laughs> um, yeah, one of, one of, there's... If if I find out that you are game for sort of having having secret little fun moments on stage, then I will I will try to do that. I will try to do that as often as I can. And there's a few people involved with the porters who also love doing that. Alex being one, and um, we have we have other very fun stories of screwing around with each other on stage. And to be clear, no one ever knows because I've asked Charles about it, who's the director. And Charles is like, "What? No, I've never noticed that." So it's, we never do it. You know, it never ruins the show. It just it makes it I don't know, makes it's, it more alive and present for us. And by the way, Judy Dench is really big on on stage pranks. She's really <laughs> all for it. So if Judy can do it, I think we can do it too. <laughs> I um, yeah, it's never ever meant to be disruptive in any way, right. and it's just about um, having fun with your castmates. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, Jono, can you tell us a little bit about what your process normally is as an actor, um, either for contemporary stuff or if it differs at all when you're approaching Shakespeare? What do you kind of normally do to, to prep a character? Um, the, the honest answer is uh, I don't really have a process. Um, it really it really just begins with um, with just reading. The script first and then um, seeing and understanding what is on the page um, and then sort of going from there, um, which could mean, um, dis you know, a lot of discovery and rehearsal, conversations with the director, conversations with scene partners, um, research, 
on my own if I feel it is necessary, or sometimes I feel that, you know, everything I need to know is right in front of me on the page. So it sort of is, is um, shifts from process mm -hmm. to process. Yeah, it always, to me, kind of feels like um, a Polaroid picture that's slowly coming into view. And that Polaroid picture will kind of direct you or tell you where to go next based off of what is becoming clearer and what is still a little shady or fuzzy. Mm. You know, uh, like, I yeah, I really love that analogy because I, I think that is sort of how I approach it. And, you know, I think that there are other actors who come in with um, to the first day of rehearsal with with really, really clear and set ideas. And I think if that is your process, that's really great. But for me, um, it, it allows, if I, have, if I have done that before in a process, I feel like for me, it allows less um, flexibility if I have come in with, with all, you know, a, a plan. Um, mm -hmm. Because you're only one person um, in a much larger picture um, so how, you know, for me, how can I come in with a set plan um, when I have no idea what anybody else is um, doing yet? <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that's so true. Like all the things you learn just from your fellow actors going like, oh, that's what this relationship must be then, because this is what I'm picking up from, from their interpretation of, you know, yeah. X, Y, Z. Right. Yeah. You know, it also makes me think really quickly, just going back to Pericles, when you were Saramon, I was Thaisa and there's... Um, a moment between the two of them when she washes up on shore and uh, you you made that scene so easy for me because you were always so present and alive as Saruman in that moment so I think that's actually a really good example of what you're saying like if I had come in with a preconceived notion about what that scene was supposed to look like I would have missed out on the beauty of what that scene came to be because of what you brought to it uh, and and likewise, you know, as well for for every every scene that we shared, um, which wasn't a, a ton in that in that play, but um, certainly that scene, and then in the end, um, yeah. you know, was all about um, playing off of of the relationship with you. Um, but I was also terrified in Pericles because I had never the last Shakespeare production I had done was seventeen years before. Um, and I came in and knew absolutely nothing and spent most of the rehearsal process just just beating myself up going, you're, you're awful, you know nothing and they know it. <laughs> I think that's really uh, normal. Yeah, I think that's how a lot of actors feel when coming into a Shakespeare rehearsal, especially if you have like older actors in the cast mm -hmm. who have like been doing Shakespeare for years. Like you get to the table read and you know, someone just whips out an incredible speech and you're like, oh God, I'm so yes. out of my league here. Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Cody, that is exactly what Pericles was for me. <laughs> but I also think that, you know, that's actually something that has come up a lot in this podcast, which I love, is that there is always going to be a sense of, oh my God, when it comes to Shakespeare, because he and his work is just, it's just bigger than us yeah um and so i always think that that's just a sign of respect and reverence for the work that is in front of you and i i also love it when people say that because it's so helpful i think for listeners to hear that actors of all levels mm -hmm. and all years of experience and people who've been doing it for for decades still feel that way when they approach the work so it, it's never this moment of like oh 
I'm perfect. I got this. This is easy. Um, There's always more to uncover with uh, Shakespeare's text, which is why it's so fun. Yeah, always. Speaking of uncovering Shakespeare's text, um, what about Cassius really resonated with you? Like if we go back to that... um, that idea of the Polaroid picture, what was apparent to you from, from the get-go? Um, for me, the there's, there's one speech in this play that, for me, is the most revealing to Cassius, um, which is in, I believe it's Act 1, Scene 2, um, when he's speaking with Brutus um, during mm-hmm. Caesar's parade, um, and he gives that description about how um, he and Caesar went swimming in the Tiber and, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and he had to end up helping pulling C- Caesar out because Caesar wasn't strong enough to swim. Um, and uh, you know, for me that, that is everything. Like I, I think the conspirators in the play, um, all of them, Cassius included re- really are worried about the Republic of Rome and and making sure that it doesn't turn into an empire with a you know with a emperor or ruler a single ruler they're all really mm-hmm. concerned about that but I think that there's a huge amount um, like Cassius is not completely um, there's a huge amount of jealousy that comes from him mm-hmm. um, because and he even says to Brutus like why why does everybody lift up Caesar like isn't your name, uh, Brutus, as strong as the name of Caesar. I, I don't know the exact mm-hmm. quote. I, I can actually mm-hmm. bring it up. But um, and then uh, and he says, you know, and and look, like Caesar challenged me to swim in a fast flowing river, and I was the one that ended up being stronger than him and having to pull him out. So why is it that people are lifting him up like a god when I am just as capable of being in the position that he's in? Uh, is how I looked at that. Um, so, does he want to save the Republic of Rome? Yes, I think so. But I think I think there's, um, you know, it's. I think I think he's just a, a a jealous man. That's such a good point because if it was really just about saving Rome, then it wouldn't matter the how fast a swimmer or strong or you know how uplifted someone was it there wouldn't be this weighing of uh caesar and brutus or caesar and and cassius it would just be hey he's a great guy he's a fantastic leader but that's just that's just not what we want we don't want to we we don't want an an emperor one single ruler but the fact that it's we don't want this and like why him you know like the why him shouldn't be um a factor in my opinion if it really is just about saving rome Right. Like, I think I think for Brutus, it is completely uh, it has nothing to do with anything else other than um, let's save the Republic of Rome. Let's make sure that um, the, the people have a voice and that we're not being dictated. Um, but but not so much for Cassius. It's there, you know. Anyway, and also there's I also find it really funny that in every single scene, um, Cassius threatens to kill himself um and i i I don't really know exactly yet um again i think in in a full process like i would come to understand that much better than i do at this moment um but i'm like what is that all about it's like it's it's almost like um 
how it sometimes like abusers use self-harm to to manipulate situations or it's like a like a like a mother guilting you into doing something like well i guess if you don't love me i'm just gonna kill myself um but uh i don't know i he, he literally says he's gonna kill himself in every single scene that he's in i'm pretty sure um and and there's there's that's there's something really major to that that i don't haven't figured out yet yeah yeah it's a good point so Jono, was there anything as you were kind of looking into cassius over the past couple of weeks that you that kind of didn't resonate with you or i know you spoke about his jealousy but you know something that you feel like it would be difficult to get behind or something you might struggle with about him as a character in uh, a rehearsal process um at the moment, I would say um, no. Um, I enjoy that his intentions are not completely noble. I enjoy um, playing characters um, who are uh, who who are kind of shitty. If that <laughs> if if it's permissible to say that, um, I, you know, like. Yakimo in Cymbeline, who for the first half of the process, I really had a hard time with him because he's really despicable. But then, um, you know, once I allowed myself to sort of in, enjoy the, he enjoys being despicable. So once I allowed myself to to enjoy what he enjoys on stage, I was like, this is fun. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, I don't think I don't think Cassius is despicable. I think. Um, he is, you know, there's there's a reason that a lot of people have been doing Caesar, Julius Caesar recently, a lot of productions of Julius Caesar in the, in the past few years, right? So I think, I think like, um, I anyway, sort of look at the conspirators, including Cassius, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's, you, you have the right intentions. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm gets it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so I, you know, I don't, I don't have a ton of problems with Cassius at the moment and maybe they would, maybe they would arise, but at, you know, at the moment I'm like, all right, I, I can, I can dig into this. Yeah. Nice. Good. Yeah. Good. Wait, thanks, Jono. So well, we'll, we'll bring Nick in now. We'll, Nick, do you want to say hi and introduce yourself? Yeah, hi everybody. I'm Nick. <laughs> hi Nick. Tell us about yourself and what you do. Um uh I'm a Shakespeare actor and director in Los Angeles and I moderate um a, theater, a Shakespeare workshop at a place called Theater West, which has been a theater home for me ever since I graduated college from UCLA. And um yeah, I I've been it, it kind of was like I've had I had a lot of periods in acting where um, I had to ask myself, as many of us do, um, you know, what do I want my art and work to look like if I'm still pursuing this um, life of creativity in like 50 years? Mm. Um, and, um, you know, I asked myself, I was like, do I want to be um, still figuring out how to crack which is a very tough game, uh, like, you know, getting as many commercials and stuff as I can or, um, you know, getting, you know, uh, achieving some sort of uh, success 
in film and TV? Or in 50 years, uh, at the end of the day, do I want to be a, um, a Shakespeare like person who can perhaps head a company, like an artistic director of some kind of company? Uh, I had a model for that. Mark Rylance came to UCLA uh, while I was there. And at that point, I'd never heard of him. And he didn't have a film and TV career, and yet he had like revitalized the Globe Theater, and like for like mm-hmm. for ten years was just like bringing Shakespeare back um, in ways that I think we hadn't really seen before. And I was like, and I don't even know who this guy is. So I was like, well, I guess I would be happy if I could try to be like that. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then uh, no one will know my name, but some people will know my name, and uh, and I'll I'll be doing the stuff I love. And, um, and maybe I'll get a chance to, uh, you know, have a formative experience. Like he did, he was in measure for measure. Um, and it, it, it's, it was at UCLA. He blew me away. Now I actually saw Jono in measure for measure. Now that I'm thinking about it. Oh yeah. Jono was and great. In measure for measure. He was great. And, um, I was with my girlfriend who, I think it was her first time seeing the play. And I think Jono, he can correct me, but I think he had the line where he said, our doubts are traitors and make us lose the good we oft might win by fearing to attempt. And my girl, and Aaron looked at me, she was like, oh, that's where that's from. <laughs> like, you know, like, so it, it was a pretty cool moment. Um, you know, it, 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 like that happened so much with that, with that group, um, with Porters of, Hell, or Porters of Hell's Gate, but also um, uh, what's will uh, the method of uh, method madness? Of, method of madness. Yeah. That's right. It just happens so often when you see a method of madness production, the play makes sense. You're just like, oh, mm. I get it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, that's really cool moment at the end where he finally says, "And measure for measure." I don't know how the line goes, but you're like, oh, and the, the whole cast was like, oh, that's where <laughs> that's where <laughs> measure for measure <laughs> comes. What from, a so. what a huge compliment to method and madness and porters and i agree i totally agree with you i mean it's such a testament to a a production and a company and and the actors when as an audience member you can go oh my gosh i totally get that and i get that on a really deep human level not just on a like oh i get the story level but like my soul feels feels uh understood (laughs) or seen that's really great um so how do you normally approach shakespeare and is it different than how you would approach a a piece of contemporary work um not really actually it's uh, how i approach shakespeare is informed how i approach contemporary work um and uh and i found that that actually it actually was really beneficial like so uh the training at ucla that i got from uh joe olivieri um oh i love joe yeah yeah um it, it kind of made it seem like anybody can do this and all the general rules of entertainment <laughs> really apply. Uh, like, you know, like w- with this text analysis stuff uh, and to, you know, to what kind of pr- proved that was after you take a lot of acting classes, uh, you know, in, in LA. And um, I took, took classes from Leslie Kahn and all the stuff I was learning from her about sitcom writing, like, um, builds and reversals and antithesis and and, like all these things that was in Joe's class about Shakespeare, like really worked when it came to sitcom acting. Um, So for a while I was just this like technical nerd and, (laughs) and, you know, and then, and then I went back and tried to read more of Joe's book and he was like, you can't be a technical, you have to actually try to act these things. You can't just like 
find out where all the stresses are and then, um, you know, and, and all the operative words. And, but like, that was like, that kind of what set me on the path of like, oh my God, it's like a puzzle. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and then, and then it wasn't until I started teaching it at theater West that I realized, yeah, you have to know that puzzle part. I think you really, it really serves. Um, uh, it, it helps you unlock a lot of doors, but at mm -hmm. the end of the day, uh, my Shakespeare workshop has just become an acting workshop. It's really just about, you know, who are you talking to? What, you know, what's, what's the moment before? What's your actions? What's your options? And then really it kind of starts from there. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, ha I, I tend to just, I, I kind of think um, it's like a combination of uh, research and then just mainly just myself. I, I, I can't bring something out of a character that I haven't experienced either in myself or somebody else. Mm -hmm. Um, so to, to, to make up for that, I try to, I'd really try to research and get inside, um, you know, what, as best I can, what may, what Shakespeare may have been talking about, um, before I then can like, you know, see, well, well, I've seen that in my life. Um, mm -hmm. like the fight that he had, that Cassius and Brutus have is really relatable. Um, mm -hmm. And it, and it wasn't until I, I really experienced um, like a, a, a fight in my own life or an argument in my own life where some where, where like someone was really unable to control their rage, mm -hmm. you know, or their their anger was just taking over them. So like when Brutus says things to Cassius, like, you know, you don't you don't scare me, dude. Like you, you, you know, you can you, you can rage all you want. It doesn't. It, it just, it hits me like the idle wind, which I regard not, you know, like, and that only infuriates Cassius more. But like, I, you know, as a young actor, it's really easy to be like young, or, or a one note, like all my life. Like I, I always went to anger without really knowing what was behind it. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of like unwork I have to do to be <laughs> able to play this guy. Yeah. Uh, um, and try to get I... really in his shoes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no, I, I'm so happy you brought that scene up because that's one of my favorite scenes in all of Shakespeare. And I think you're right. I think the the way that quote unquote fight is written is mm. just like such a great snapshot of what it is to be a human and to like mm -hmm. to love other people. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes you're right, younger younger actors can go at it just as a fight. But I think it's so much more than that for those two. And I think the the moment where Brutus then like, stops the fight and and tells Cassius that Portia has died like mm -hmm. you see how close these two men are mm -hmm. and it makes that scene so much more heartbreaking mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then he's got this and then Cassius who like you think is like this total jerk you know actually seems to express genuine like sincerity and, yeah. and concern for his friend and it that goes against everything you're conditioned to think of him as because he's a manipulator Mm -hmm. uh, you know throughout the piece he's like he sort of has a speech like iago in the beginning um where he's like oh now i'm gonna slip in some letters and you know write them in different hands and make him think you know they they really have to plan how they're going to show up at, at brutus's house and and manipulate him to mm -hmm. to get him to to get him on board um so yeah it's it, it so then like all, and then all of a sudden you're like but he's he seems really sincere about the loss of you know about Brutus's loss. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that speaks to Jono's point where it's like the, I, I well, so in my research, I, I read this woman named Claire Asquith uh, and a lot, she's really about all the metaphors that Shakespeare may have been talking about. She's really about Protestant reformation and the effect that had on people. And so like, if, if, Cassius represents the the reformers who mm. were like really intelligent and you know had this whole this whole like humanist ideal and like you know really wanted to tear down all the relics of the the old um I don't know the old mysticism and the old religion uh, like but like Jono said he's still a person so he has mm. those ideals that are that are admirable but he's still this envious kind of jealous sort of wounded person who's very self-destructive and, 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 and ends up, you know, like he said, like, like he said, threatening to kill himself the whole, throughout the whole play. It's, it's kind of sad and miserable when you think about it. Yeah. Um, there's such intelligence and in, in like such a, I don't know, such pain or trauma he's living through. I think it's interesting too, that when he does kill himself, he uses the same knife he used to kill Caesar. Yeah. So what does that speak to in terms of the reasons why he's killing himself? I think oftentimes we think he kills himself because he knows that he's going to lose to Antony, but how much of it is, um, you know, almost like Macbeth, like feeling tortured by, by the death that you did cause. Um, mm-hmm. Is there regret? Uh, like what, if he has been threatening to kill himself the whole play, why, were they always empty threats? And yeah. if so, why is now the, the moment that he decides to do it? And why with, with that, with the same weapon used totally. to kill Caesar? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and what does he know about himself in that he's like, he knows he's able to, um, you know, he, he knows he's able to go through with it, but he knows he's not a leader. He knows he needs Brutus. Mm-hmm. Um, although he's got all these great ideas that keep, that Brutus keep this, uh, dismissing <laughs> And then, and then they, you know, ended up, they end up being like, Cash is like, no, don't let Mark Anthony speak. So that's not a good uh, speak. That's not yeah. a good idea. And no, we're going to let him speak anyway. And I don't know. It's really, it's really interesting. I, I guess it makes me just, that's the one thing I'm really puzzled about is his, the relationship with Brutus. And I guess that's the, the point of the play. Like that's the meat, um, the, where it's like, yeah, like, uh, I don't know. Like he, he definitely sees something in Brutus that he doesn't have uh, mm-hmm. something, something he doesn't see in himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's hard to think of like someone who's like a manipulator as having like a real care and love for someone else uh, to care about someone else that much. It's interesting. Um, Cause Cody and I were talking about that before y'all logged on. Like um, why doesn't he just do this himself? Why does he feel like he has to have Brutus? Um mm-hmm. And he has that line, I'm going to butcher it, but it's something like, uh, Caesar bears me hard, but he loves Brutus, mm-hmm. but he does love Brutus. Um, and I always turn to Asimov, and in the chapter uh, in Asimov's book on Caesar, he mentions how there is a, there was a certain Roman title of basically mayor, I can't remember what it's called, but how Caesar gave that title to Brutus, even though he told Cassius, you know, I think you're actually better suited for this. I'm going to give this to Brutus, which mm. um, of course makes me think of Iago and Othello. Right. But then also I had never heard this before. And this was going to tell you Asimov says that there was a theory going around too, at the time that Brutus was actually Caesar's illegitimate son, but that there was actually oh. no um, like proof of that. And they're like, Oh, it's just, 
you know, that's just gossip for the sake of heightening the, you know, the, his assassination. And you know, but he might followed. actually have legitimate claim or legitimate support yeah. to take over, which is something that Cassius definitely doesn't have. Exactly. So yeah, like how much of that is Cassius aware of, and how much of it is just Cassius's own um, lack of of confidence or sense of enoughness. Mm-hmm. where um he's like well i i couldn't is it i couldn't do this or is it brutus should do this because he could yeah. do it better um yeah. it's hard to that's it's great. hard to say i think that's a, definitely an actor choice yeah yeah well he does say think... he says there was a brutus that brooke the eternal devil keep his state in rome as easily as a king he does like keep lifting up brutus's name like you said yeah. sorry mm-hmm. i didn't mean to no 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 you're good i think yeah i think the relationship between Cassius and Brutus can can make or break this show. I think mm-hmm. it totally is the heartbeat of this show. And it was funny because Alex and I were talking about it, I guess, a couple nights ago. And, and Cassius is almost always forgotten from this show when it's debated or talked about. You know, people talk about Antony, people talk about Caesar, people mm-hmm. talk about Brutus. But I think Cassius is, he, he's so much more of a driving force than people ever think he is. I totally forgot about him. Cody was the one who was like, we should do Cassius. And I was like, who? And I've like seen this show, read this show. I haven't been in it, but I've like done Porsche's speeches before. And I was like, Cassius. Well, and people are like, Casca? Casca's not fun. I was like, no, no, Cassius. I was like, wait, what? Um, I love too that you brought up just now the idea of names, because that's something that keeps popping up. Like the double Brutus, like he mentions the former Brutus and the current Brutus. And then, in his speech, the one that John um, first mentioned, where he talks about, you know, why are we uplifting Caesar's name when is not Brutus's name just as uh, worthy? Mm-hmm. But then also there's a whole thing with like sin of the poet versus mm-hmm. sin of the conspirator, yeah. like this idea of names and like the the weight of a person's name and and how it carries after death. I think that's also why the show is named Caesar, even though he dies halfway through. It's that even though he is no longer around in physical form, his name is still so so much the, the the central character even when he's physically no longer around mm-hmm. um and the way the legend of someone carries like there once was a brutus it's like okay now there's going to be there once was a caesar yeah um, and yet and yet and i'm just going to bring it full circle before we bring jono back in and yet cassius is the name that everyone forgets yeah in Poor terms cassius. of like audience <laughs> like whatever it is it's like that's the one name and yet he's the one who kind of lit the match yeah he starts everything if it yeah. wasn't for that chat with Brutus, how much of this would have happened? Yeah. You know, what oh, yeah. Happened? oh yeah. And that chat for me actually is goes all the way back to Joe. Cause that was, uh, just one of the speeches that I learned, um, in his class that kind of set me on this path. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. the faultier Brutus, not in our stars, but in ourselves that were yes. links, you know, and we were saying, that. going back to like your, your girlfriend going like uh, for measure for measure, like, Oh, that's who says that, you know, Cody and I, the other night we're watching a beautiful production of, of Caesar. And when Cassius said that, I was like, that, God, that's one of those lines that everyone is like, Oh, that's from Hamlet or, oh, that's, you know, no one, no one goes, Oh, that's Cassius. Again. Yeah. And again, if they do know what play it's from, they won't credit Cassius. It'll just say Julius Caesar at the bottom. Right. Yeah. No one knows who Cassius is. <laughs> it just, yeah, it speaks to, I think, who he is in the play. Jono, why don't you rejoin us, friend? Yeah, any Hello. any thoughts, any responses, any agreements, disagreements? Yes, yes. You have? <laughs> um, I um I love the fact 
that Nick, you brought up um, how Brutus doesn't really listen to Cassius uh, and, and some of his good <laughs> suggestions, because I think the reason that they ultimately fail um, and, uh, and also like are not able to save the Republic and end up creating, like they topple the first do domino that creates an empire and, and makes um, eventually allows Octavius to become emperor. Um, mm -hmm even though that's exactly what they're trying to avoid is that they don't have a, a unified plan. Um, and, and, you know, um, Cassius, um, who I would argue is actually the driving force of the play. Um, mm -hmm. Like none of this happens without Cassius sort of setting it all up. Um, you know, if, if Brutus is, is a little too noble um, in, in that he only wants to assassinate Caesar when um, if you if you don't take care of if he if they don't take care of of everybody who's loyal to Caesar, then um, somebody's going to come in and, and fill that vacuum, which Octavius yeah. and Antony do. Mm -hmm. um, so there's that. And then. Uh, wait, there was there was something else <laughs> that I'm forgetting. I don't know. There was a lot of stuff that was just said that I was like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, but I, no, well, I, don't, I, no, I don't remember. You've got you have such a good point that like there is no plan, and then like that in conjunction with Brutus like stepping into power and then just ignoring all of Cassius's good suggestions, and it's like, well, they did have a plan. Mm -hmm. Cassius like is the one that has like he's probably thought it all out. He's a big picture guy, but then like apart from getting Brutus there and, you know, killing Caesar, then all of a sudden Brutus is like, well, I'm I'm the decision maker now, so never mind. And Cassius is like, wait, no, this only works if we do it this way mm -hmm. and no one wants to listen to him anymore because now Brutus is in charge. You know, he's the one who offers up to like, well, we should definitely kill Antony. Yeah. Um, and he, exactly, Brutus is like, nah, yeah, we're good. <laughs> like, wait, wait. Brutus, because Brutus is like, no, 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 the Roman people will be more on our side if we allow Antony to live. And then, you know, and we'll we'll tell Antony, like, like what our motives were. He'll understand that they were noble and then he will calm the Roman people, which is actually the, you know, the exact opposite of what happens. Um, and he's sort of Antony yeah. is the one who yeah. who well, masterfully whips the people up into a frenzy. I love that speech is incredible. Um, yeah. Um, and then uh, end up you know ripping the limbs off of scene of the poet. Poor scene of the poet. Yeah, mm -hmm. I know. Poor guy. <laughs> Poor little Poor scene guy. of the poet. <laughs> well, Just it, a poet, and like, of... you're a horrible poet. And I hate to be said that too. Like you. Like you, you have even my bones. You have the wrong guy. He's it's like, it doesn't matter. Your name like, is Cena. Uh, well, like, yeah, that it's like the attack on the press, or it's like the attack on free speech, or the attack on art. You know what I mean? Like that. It's just that I think he's saying so. So, like you said, with names, uh, you know, so many people have the same name. You know, like a common theme is like the Civil War all the time in Shakespeare. It's like it's a civil mm -hmm. strife. You know, and and brother killing brother and friend killing friend, you know, neighbor killing neighbor. And uh, and so, yeah, like that, that cinema moment is just, uh, you know, look, I don't know what the answer is, but it's like you said, John, like they didn't have a plan uh, and they just, you know, cut the head off the Hydra and then like all hell is breaking loose. And so mm -hmm. I, I don't know exactly what the statement is there, um, but. 
they went about it the wrong way, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> to put it lightly. Yeah. They went about it the wrong they didn't do it way. Well. <laughs> so Cody and I have been talking about uh, about this because we really think there's, in our minds, two ways of thinking about Cassius. And I'm sure, obviously there are more than two ways, but these are the two that we've settled on. Um, I will present mine and then Cody, you can present yours. <laughs> well, actually, we'll, yeah. So, you know, I... I I am more of the camp that um, Cassius is is not an Iago, but I do think that, um, like we mentioned earlier with Jono, that what drives him uh, isn't the purest of intentions, that it's just for Rome. I think he there is that there, yes, but there's also a jealousy factor, and that Cassius is very cunning and knowing how to get Brutus on his side with, like, the, the the false letters and then you know the offering up of killing Antony and then these kind of money issues that have come up in talking with Brutus there's clearly you know Cassius has been a little tricky with money and finances in the past and the way that he's like paid people off and got money um and then also historically Cassius was on the side of Pompey and then when, as soon as he realized that Caesar was going to win like abandoned Pompey and went straight to Caesar and then of course we see that too with his death at the end like I don't see him as being um, as having the purest of of intentions. And again, while he's certainly not certainly not an Iago, he's also not an angel. And I think he can be have his manipulative qualities. Whereas Cody, Cody, take it away. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I I think the love between Cassius and Brutus, and this could be I've I've had the opportunity to play Cassius before, and. It could definitely be my biases and my influence from the work that I did with the woman who was playing my Brutus. Um, but I think there is a very, very deep um, connection and love between the two of them. And so I think a lot of Cassius's decisions, I, like, I don't know if, obviously he's incredibly intelligent, he's incredibly clever, um, but I don't think he's manipulating everything for his own gain. I think he is a bigger picture guy. I think Rome is very important to him, but I also don't think he's just using Brutus. I do think he believes that Brutus is a leader that could make a difference for Rome. And, you know, stuff like writing all of the letters isn't, haha, I'm going to manipulate him into doing this. It's, I know Brutus in and out, and I know he's not going to do this unless he has the support of people who he trusts. So I'm going to create that network of support for him. And it's this, I don't know. I think I have this thought of like Cassius is not, he's, he is a warrior, but not, he's not at the same level as Brutus and Antony and he does have his brain and he knows that kind of that's what he brings to the table. So he's going to use it to kind of lift the two of them up in every way that he can. And I think that, you know, once Brutus kind of steps into power and they start disagreeing and Brutus kind of starts doing things his own way, that's that idea, that ideal that he had at the start of the show starts to deteriorate, which I think is where his mental health starts to slip as well. And and that being said, I mean, I do think that he absolutely loves and supports Brutus. Um, and hearing Cody describe her way, I'm like, that would also be a lot more fun to play <laughs> than, than, than my version. Um, but I'm curious to to see or hear what, what y'all think of that. Yeah. Uh, Nick? Um, I, like I, like I said, I, I feel like that's, that's the most, that's the hardest relationship I think to understand. Like you got to mm -hmm. really be in it. Um, I do think he's a bit of an Iago, but he's a, 
He's an Iago if an Iago had a point, you know, if, if Iago was like <laughs> out for anybody other than himself. Um, um, you know, he is, I think that's just how Shakespeare sort of paints him. I think what I didn't know, I didn't know anything of really about Julius Caesar historically. It's so funny how it all kind of just like I was visiting my dad and he's just like loves this BBC, like, uh, you know, documentary drama where they like reenact Julius. He's, and he's telling me all this stuff about before I, I even knew the character today was going to be Cassius. He's just like telling me all the stuff about the politics and when Pompey and this and that. Um, and so I guess from what I've gathered is that like, I guess people in England at this time would have seen Caesar as a tyrant, um, mm-hmm. would have actually seen, and yet Shakespeare portrays him as a little favorable in this play in a weird way because of how he's brought down and, and the sort of justice that is brought to his, the, the conspirators. So like, it's weird. Like he gave, um, I, I feel like Shakespeare's taking an unconventional stance on the conspirators and showing them to have flaws, even though they, mm-hmm. even though they had a point um, and showing them that they have love for each other even though at some point, like Cassius especially seems to only care about himself. It's a very, I think that's what makes him still so human. It's just hard to crack, um, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's it's all these things tugging against each other. You know, I I, I heard something interesting, and then John, I definitely want to hear your thoughts, but I heard heard something interesting about how um, back in the 1600s in rhetoric class, a common... um, a common point that was to be argued in the class as a way to practice rhetoric was whether or not the was whether or not the killing of Caesar was justified. And so mm. we have to assume wow. that Shakespeare, because he was schooled and he was schooled in rhetoric, is this something that he would have had to have argued in, in class? And so what we're really seeing in Caesar is is a representation of that because wow. certainly the number one question that people ask when they start to approach this play is is are they justified? Do we have to decide you know, do we have to take a point on that as a director? Do we need to make that clear to the audience? And Cody and I were talking that we've seen productions where Caesar is really just like a sympathetic character and he seems lovely and he's a little weak. He's a little weakling <laughs> and they really play up his health issues. But then like the beautiful production we saw the other night, they really played him as a tyrant. I mean, they had him like kill someone's dog on stage. Oh, like, God. you know, yeah. you really just yeah, hate this he's person. Just like a dick. So it's it's always interesting to see which side um the director takes. And is Shakespeare in his writing even asking us to take a side? Or are we kind of back in that 16th century writer classroom of, of arguing, you know, the case? Um, Jonna, what are your thoughts? Um, I th- think that I would agree with Cody. Um, you know, I, I, personally, I think the the um, comparisons to Iago, to Iago are sort of unwarranted. Um, I agree. I always feel personally fine, attacked when fine. people do that. Nick and I will take our Iagos <laughs> elsewhere. There is no revenge in yeah, I, I Exactly. I, I completely agree. Because, and you know, and Iago is like, um, to quote a completely different Shakespeare play that has nothing to do with either of these, uh, Iago is a, is a plain dealing villain. Whereas... Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you thank you um yeah. whereas you know i i don't think yeah cassius may be a little bit petty and a little bit jealous um and manipulative but he's never evil i don't think um yeah, 
trying to ruin Brutus's life. Right. Um, Cody and- looking straight in the eye. Which- <laughs> <laughs> you know, but to be fair, I did say he is not an. I said he's not a full-on Iago, but he's not an angel. So I, I think he is closer to Iago. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, again, like does he does he have some some ulterior motives for what he does sure but in the end um they're all trying to accomplish the same goal which is to like save their republic their country um from tyranny um and so and and he just thinks that like brutus needs a little nudge here and there so he manipulates the situation which isn't great but it's i don't think he's he's evil um in any way so yeah i i I tend to agree with with Cody on this one. Well, wow. oh well, no, nah, man. <laughs> oh, sorry, Alex, go for it. Or, yeah, I think that's what's so interesting about this show is it, you know Julius Caesar is such like a a um, mirror or a glass or, or you know a microscope on how humans are gray. You know, we're mm-hmm. not black and white, and it, you know it's mm-hmm. like Alex was saying with either directors or audiences picking a side and was it justified? Was it not? And I think the whole point of this show is trying to show you that, you know, every single part of it, every single person in the show has something that the audience can agree with and something that the audience can disagree with. And I think that is what can make theater so special because it leaves you thinking and debating and disagreeing with the people in your life because, you know, he's so great at, you know, describing the human condition. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, anything else y'all would like to share before we move on to closing questions? No, nah, I'm still on your side, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> but I hear, but I hear he's not a plain dealing villain. No, he's not. But I, yeah, he's a, he's a weaving spider, man. He's, he's scheming you know, and talk straight to the audience about it. And it's, it's shady and it's, but it is weird that he doesn't assert himself afterwards. You know, it's like that, that to me makes me think that, well, he doesn't have a real plan. He just wants to kill this guy. And, and he thinks that's the right thing. And um, so it's a, it's much more of a saving grace than Iago. There's nothing you can say nice about Iago at all. That is true. That is true. (laughs) Well, Nick, is there anything that you would like to shout out that you are currently working on? Uh, yeah, um, yeah, uh, I'm directing a, a an adaptation of Love Labor's Loss, um, which is going really well. We've got a short made and and looking to make a feature. We had a really cool, successful um, crowdfund campaign, um, and um, uh, trying to do as much Shakespeare as we can over at Theater West. And uh, yeah, so check out Theater West and check out uh, Love's Labor's Film. Can I just say I'm so excited about Love's Labor's Film because that is like my favorite Shakespeare show, and I just oh. don't think it gets enough love. Oh, thank you, thank you. I I, I love that. That like so many. Yeah, me too. Like so many people. You know, it's it's only us. Like you know, yeah, if you, if you know. grow up doing Shakespeare, you come across that play, and you're just like, it's so fun. It's just so great. Exactly. I love that yeah. show. Do you have a favorite Shakespeare resource that you would like to shout out? Um, well, aside from Joe Olivieri's book on uh, scansion and text analysis, um, the Arden has a really cool um, book called Reading Shakespeare's 
Germanic language, I believe, um, hmm. which also really helps with like um, breaking apart the text and understanding, uh, you know, how you could approach it as an actor. But then I research like so I, I like to I like I read Claire Asquith. I read um, Stephen Greenblatt. Uh, I, I I try to read almost everything I can find about um, the Tudor period um, just to mm -hmm. kind of understand, like, you know, uh, it's so funny. Like you look at, you read Julius Caesar and they talk about the clocks striking and <laughs> yes, there's no clocks yes. in Rome, no you clocks. know, so no he, he's, <laughs> he's talking about England the whole time. It's just so, it's so incredibly topical. And that just like lights me up. I just love seeing, you know, what he's actually pointing to um mm. so yeah i would say stephen greenblatt is obviously is incredible as much as much as you can read about the tudor period i think too what uh in love's labor's lost uh that really got me excited was uh the way they talk about the character rosalind um mm. and you know that they, they have this whole scene about how black she is mm. and yet i've never been in a production or seen one where she's cast as black Mm -hmm. And that to me is just so weird because they talk the same way about Othello and he's black. And yet Rosalind, no, she can't be black. She's, she, he must not be talking about a black woman. And lo and behold, um, you know, like there's this book that just came out called Black Tutors. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a chapter on a woman who, in my head, probably was Shakespeare's inspiration for Rosalind. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, you know, it's just, it's phenomenal how much it has been whitewashed. I mean, just uh, there's no other way to say it. Like how much of, of our, you know, our curriculum growing up in the United States has just like avoided an, the actual reality of what, of what this time period was like. And so that's, uh, that's what I try to bring out when I make, you know, in my film or also any plays that I do. Yeah, I love that. And lastly, a little bit of a course change shift. If uh, our sweet, Cassius was a cocktail. What would he be? Oh my god! Uh, so I was thinking something bloody at first, um, but then no, I was thinking like I want there to be. I want it to be like a uh, like a Casper, like a, like a white drink, you know, because he's talked about as like pale and mm. envious. But then I want there to be like some grenadine, like a dye that sort of <laughs> like j drips through the drink, the blood, and eventually takes it over. So something like that. <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Very intense cocktail. Yeah. Would there be a specific spirit you would use for that? Uh, probably gin. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know why. I think of, whenever I think of Rome, I think of like the plants on people's heads and like so that like the but the, the botanical like yeah. quality would come out of a gin. Like, I love it. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right, Jono. Uh, anything you're working on that you would like to shout out? Um, nothing, not really. I do a lot of, um, online Zoom readings. Uh, I just finished, uh, my first audiobook, which was just released. It's called Sound, yeah. Sounds of Silence. You can find awesome. it on Audible Congrats. and Apple. Um, yeah, I have nothing I'm working on, but I just released but my, here's my audio. <laughs> my audio. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> yeah, so... So sure. Yes, I do. Yes. Um, but uh, no, at the moment, it's it's um, other than that, it, I'm, it's just lots of Zoom readings. Yeah, that's great, though. Um, do you have a favorite Shakespeare resource you would like to share? 
Yeah, yeah. I still consider myself like a little Shakespeare baby. Um, so I uh, just start out with like a and and Shakespeare. Uh, the language of Shakespeare can still elude me in in often. So I start with like modern translations. So I can just start with understanding what I'm saying, which is probably the most important thing for me. Uh, there's a, a site called Lit Charts, um, which has a section uh, a section called Shakespeare, um, which I think does really really nice um, modern translations, and also um, will have little footnotes about um, in their translations about like who. Um, Shakespeare is referencing with this Greek god or, you know, um, who Tarkin, like I wouldn't have known who Tarkin is and he's referenced by many characters um, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Anyway, so I think Lit Charts is great. Every once in a while I'll pop over to like Spark Notes um, mm -hmm. to uh, give, you know, some or to look at summaries or look at historical context or character analysis and stuff like that. But yeah, I, I start with like the really basic um, stuff first um, yeah. and then sort of build from there. Yeah, you have to. I mean, I, I've, I've, I love No Fear Shakespeare. Mm -hmm. no, no shade on that. <laughs> um, and if he was a cocktail feat, Cassius, what would he be? I think he'd be a kamikaze. Ooh. Oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. That's great. Awesome. Well, y'all, thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for being here today. Y'all look great. Thank you. Thank you so much for having us. It was great fun. Um, you could, like, there's so probably so many things that we didn't even get to touch on that we could spend another three hours talking about. I know, about. right? Talk about the character for weeks. And, and, yeah. And thank you for reuniting me with Jonna. Uh, Jonna, was that your line in Measure for Measure? Did I get it right? It was. Yeah, That's that was Lucio. Uh, awesome. Nice. Yay. Gotta love a good connection. Yes. Stuck in my head. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks, y'all. Thank you. Thanks so much for having a drink with us. This podcast was edited by JoJo from the podcast On That Note Mortals. Music written by Stephanie McGarrett. Graphics by Momo from Pitchfork Disaster. For more information, check out our website at shakepodcast.com. Or on Instagram at shakepod. Let's grab another drink soon. Yes, please. And if you've enjoyed listening to Shake, 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 we would really appreciate it if you head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd love you forever.